So the methodology and mindset that we're talking about are the things that get in the way of your execution. I can teach you the process, mm -hmm. but if you're discomfort talking about money or your tendency to get emotional in a, in a large sales environment with a potential client, if, if those things get in the way, the process isn't going to do you any good because you're not going to be able to execute it. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. My name is Molly Nolan. I am your host, joined by two guests to the podcast, none of whom are rookies to Out of the Hourglass. Today, we are welcoming back NCG senior coach Andrew Amrine, an NCG sales consultant and founder of TriFit Business Development, Mike Shannon. Now, if asked, most people would agree that sales and the process of becoming a fantastic salesperson is a journey. There is the fundamentals of learning the sales process, one that guides you how to take a customer through the buyer's journey. And then there's the understanding of the instincts, behaviors, and attitudes, the methodology that draws the line to execution of mastery. We've learned that an understanding of the process without an understanding of the methodology creates inferior results. An awareness of the methodology without a process equals inconsistent results. When you are able to fully combine an understanding of the sales process with an excellence of the sales methodology, now that defines success. But can you teach this methodology or mindset Today, Andrew and Mike join us to tell us that yes, while it can be taught, it does require an intricate understanding of one's own weaknesses and strengths, and that finding the correct training to conquer the head trash, to help develop a closer instinct, and that practicing the true behaviors that lead to the mastery is critical. Today's episode is brought to you by the Sherwin-Williams Company, introducing their brand new gallery series product line, Waterborne Top Coat, a hard-wearing, professional-grade coating that achieves a factory-like finish on cabinets, trim, and millwork. Sherwin-Williams is proud to introduce Gallery Series Waterborne Top Coat. This coating is designed specifically for the cabinet refinishing market with attributes formulated to benefit you, our pro customer. Gallery Series is available in a range of sheens, including 10 gloss matte, 20 gloss satin, and 40 gloss semi-gloss. This coating can be tinted to a variety of colors and has a recommended color palette available that focuses on industry and designer trends. All right, here we are back on another Out of the Hourglass podcast with Andrew Amrine and Mike Shannon. Andrew and Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Maul. Thank you, Molly. Great to be here. Happy Catherine's making you. funny faces at me through my office window. She's trying to get me to laugh on the podcast. Tell her you're in a very serious conversation right now. That's going to be heard by thousands of people and you must focus. <laughs> Millions, I thought. Millions of people. We are mass communicating. Sure are, sure are. Well, Mike and Andrew, it's great to have you both on the podcast together. This is a first, I believe. I've talked to you, you know, of course, individually. And now we're bringing you together. Um, a couple reasons. One, it's just due time. Uh, but secondary, we have an upcoming workshop uh, for our summit clients that's focusing on that's focusing on advanced sales and mastering the mindset. 
And we thought, you know what, we need to pause and let's talk about what that actually even means when we're talking about the mindset, you know, the instincts, the behaviors, the attitudes um, of a really exceptional sales rep. Now, this is going to relate to the um, OMG Sales Insight Report um, that we've talked about in previous episodes. So certainly recommend taking a listen there um, if this is a new new verbiage for you. Um, but Andrew, I'll say to you, go to you first because this is um, something you've been really passionate about. And Mike, you obviously have been in, in this world for a while, but Andrew, how excited are you to have this new boutique level assessment in our, as a tool in our, in our forte? My excitement hasn't dampened since our last podcast, which was two hours uh, ago, uh, two hours ago, <laughs> they're coming out weeks apart, probably, but we recorded them two hours apart, which is, we did. we'll be totally transparent there. No, I'm, I'm totally stoked about it. Um, we're referring to it as the sales insights report, the sales insights program. Um, so OMG is the company. So TTI is the company that makes DISC, OMG is the company that makes Sales Insights. Sales Insights is uh, helping us make our training better. Um, it's helping reps become better. So on the content end, it's helping us organize our content a little more specifically, drill it down more. Um, it's a perfect complement in the Sandler consultative sales world. Mm-hmm. Um, can I, can, how much time do you have? Can I keep going? Um, on and on and on and on. I'm stoked. So Mike, thank you very much for bringing this back to us. Uh, and it was perfect timing uh, to jump in and, and use it to build our training uh, infrastructure. Um, so it's, it's great having you with us. Can I address the, uh, the OMG, the name? Cause sure. everybody, that's an acronym now that everybody texts it to their friends. And it's true. <laughs> it stands for Objective Management Group, and the company was founded in 1990. And I'm pretty sure that if he named it today, he would choose a different set of three words because, uh, you know, OMG means something different to most people. But uh, we affectionately refer to it and continue to refer to it as OMG in spite of texting. Yes. <laughs> Acronyms are everywhere these days. Acronyms, and I was saying to Andrew in a previous conversation, acronyms and analogies. We're really big on on analogies when it comes to helping to to explain things. And I'm sure we'll hit an analogy in this upcoming conversation as well. Um, Mike, how long have you been working um, with you know with within the OMG world and kind of training along these types this this structure? So I got into sales training and development in 2006, and about a year later, the gentleman I was working with signed up with OMG to become a distributor. And I'm a you know 26 year sales veteran at that point. I'm going to take this assessment, and so I did, and I got the report, and I read it, and I immediately threw it in a drawer because it clearly wasn't true based <laughs> on all the things it said about me. And and then uh, about five months later, I had a validation experience that verified one of the findings of the report. So I went back and reread it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, well, clearly that's true. And if you're honest, this is true. And so is that. And oh, my gosh, that began my what year is it? 15 year remediation program trying to 
take the validity of that or the findings and improve my own sales skills and abilities. And I can guarantee you without any doubt that had I not embraced the findings of OMG, we would not be talking today because I would have failed out of the sales training and development world probably by 2010. Wow. I, mean, I, made it I, I just have to point out that the the OMG made you say OMG. Maybe maybe Dave Curlin did do it on purpose. Maybe he knew he was he knew. <laughs> oh my later, God, it's totally accurate. <laughs> this is gonna be this is gonna be a thing. So I'm everybody's gonna look at the report and go, OMG. <laughs> or no, I'm not I'm not using acronyms. <laughs> Now we're down a rabbit hole. <laughs> so, so this has been something that you personally have have developed your own sales skills, um, you know, with with this basis. So, it kind of brings me into the conversation today because the 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 workshop that we're going to be having, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the conversation, mastering the mindset, which is really about, you know. What are the what are the attributes that we need to need to be mastering to be um, a great sales rep? We know, and what's the methodology around that? So when you have you brought some you know thoughts to the table, Mike, where you've got sales methodology, and then you have sales process, two very different things. First off, what's the difference, and why does it matter that they're different? So sales process is the the blocking and tackling steps that you go through. So Sandler has a submarine and it's got seven steps as you go through the submarine. And there are literally dozens of sales processes that have been written about, promoted and sold since I think starting in the 1960s. And you know, there's there's just a whole bunch of them out there. Spin selling, Miller Hyman has, obviously Sandler, you know, has products. Um, the latest creation is something called the Challenger Sale, which came out 2011. And by and large, all of those companies are trying to sell you their process. So the process is the steps that people take. And I haven't seen any recent statistics, but a large percentage of the 16 million salespeople, or however many there are these days, um, a large percentage don't actually follow a systematic process. Take myself, for, for example, I claimed I was a sales professional starting in 1981. And up to 2006, I never had a sales process. I did not have a methodology to follow. And that's, you know, that's a double use of that term. I never had a, you know, uh, step one, step two, step three. Mm -hmm. I never thought in those terms. I just kind of went by my seat of the pants. I figured my you know, my integrity, my, you know, my persistence, that those were going to win deals for me, win me business. And they did. But I wasted so much time because I wasn't following a systematic process. Process wins. Process is part of I the just, winning, which is what it. I've learned. 
I can't help but provide some comic relief here. I, w- I was three when Mike made that commitment in 1981. So you could say, Mike, that in a sales standpoint, you realized you were three years old in 1981. So we've followed the same trajectory, even though your age might be a little older, we have followed the same sales trajectory since 19. Who invited Andrew to the podcast? Was that me? Good thing we're not. Mike, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So, so process is one part of it though. You mentioned Mike, you didn't have process or methodology. And so obviously without both, you, you naturally, your natural talents may have gotten you somewhere, but you were missing out on so much potential. So you've hit the process part. Talk to me. What is the methodology part? The methodology, you mentioned analogies earlier, and I'm, I mm-hmm. may have used this one in a previous podcast with you, but I can teach you how to hit a baseball. And I should probably do some work with the Phillies, although, <laughs> you know, depending on the day, they hit the ball pretty well. But, uh, you know, the, the one run they got the other night wasn't exactly uh, overwhelming. But anyway, I can teach you how to hit a baseball. I can teach you the techniques of weight transfer and swing and keeping your eye on the ball and follow through. And I can make you practice in a batting cage, you know, 100 pitches a day and get it so that it's 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 muscle memory. It's reflex reaction, right? Mm-hmm. But if you are afraid of getting hit by a pitch, unless it's coming from a batting machine, which is a very controlled trajectory how effective are you going to be in you know at the plate in a real game with a 100 mile an hour high fastball coming at you you're going to be bailing out so the methodology and mindset that we're talking about are the things that get in the way of your execution i can teach you the process Mm -hmm. but if you're discomfort talking about money or your tendency to get emotional in a, in a large sales environment with a potential client, if, if those things get in the way, the process isn't going to do you any good because you're not going to be able to execute it. So being able to focus on the, the things that get in the way, being able to run, recognize them and then work on them with the combination of a great process, it sounds like a like a winning opportunity. Yeah, should we talk about the analogy of building a house? You know, that's a, an, an article that I read a little while ago and he was talking about process versus methodology. And he said, imagine you, you're trying to build a house, right? And you have a set of plans and the plans are essentially the process the methodology or the skills and abilities of the contractors, the craftsmen that, you know, frame the house, pour the foundation, you know, put up the walls and paint and plumbing and electric, all that. So if you have a good plan, but the craftsmen are not craftsmen, the the contractors, they're actually, you know, we call Chuck in a truck, right? Somebody's just (laughs) slapping paint on or, you know, guys that are wallboarding and the spackle looks like something, something like what I would have done, you know, instead <laughs> of, uh, you know, you, somebody's 
tiling the bathroom and the, you know, if the homeowner comes in and turns on the water and find out the plumber never connected the, the feed line to the shower head. So you got, you know, $50,000 worth of tile that has to be ripped out because he didn't, you know, nightmare individual didn't have the skills or whatever to, to make it happen. So clearly a good process or plan without good skills, you end up with an inferior product. And the reverse is true. If you are good with, you know, methodologies and mindset and, and you, you know, your DNA is, is pretty well attuned to the sales profession, but you're not following a process, that's the, the great contractors who go to build the house, but, you know, the, the guys are painting the walls and then the electrician shows up and they got to rip half of it out because they haven't put the electric lines in the walls in the right time or the foundation, you know, is, mm -hmm. is they're trying to build the walls before the foundation's even been completed or cured or whatever, not have good, having good skills with no process or an inferior process, again, results in a, you know, a less than desirable result. So we want both. And a lot of what we have done here, Andrew, I'll, I'll pull you in here. A lot of the sales training from sales jumpstarts to being part of sales peer groups, the sales workshops, we have focused a lot on teaching of the sales process um, with incorporation of some methodology as, as well. We're now, I think, taking a deeper a deeper step into it or are identifying the, the methodology a little bit more with um with this next upcoming workshop really focusing in on this mindset and the kind of dna component so for you i mean how does this how does this kind of in your mind redirect um how we teach sales oh yeah we talked about it uh, i'm super pumped and we talked about it in the last podcast the sandler success triangle you have to have the three things attitude behaviors and techniques so technique is the process and attitudes and behaviors speak to methodology. I, I love the sales insights word instincts. They talk about the sales reps have the instincts for certain things. So behaviors and attitudes. Um, prior, we've certainly, we've been doing the sales fundamentals bootcamp for years, which mm -hmm. is the sales process. We, in the last, I think the last five years, We've done the advanced sales bootcamp, which focused on mindset. We've really focused on two main things, uh, identity role and what we call turning pro. What the sales insights report and their research, really, I mean, the, the report is, is based on the research that Dave Curlin did. So his research took those two things and turned it into 11 things. And being able to surgically go after specifically what a rep is struggling with, I thought we were doing that. So to continue the analogy, right, a scalpel is better than a machete. And I thought we were using a scalpel until mm -hmm. I met Dave Curlin or through Mike and realized, wow, we, we could get a lot more specific. Um, and so through Dave Curlin's research, taking our, it, it's a, it's a hand and glove fit with what we've been training. 
it just allows us to get way more specific. And so we'll, we'll talk more about that today and, and some specifics for people to take away. But yeah, I, like I'm super excited. Who's Dave Curlin? Yeah. <laughs> well, so we talked about good, good question. I don't think we've talked about Dave. Uh, did you mention him? No, I don't think. Oh, Mike did. Yeah. Dave Curlin uh, is the creator of, or the owner of objective management group. Um, yeah, and he started was, this back at started this journey back in 1990. Couldn't find assessments that really had a high success rate, 40 to 50, 60% success rate in predicting. And so he made his own pretty cool stuff. Smart guy. Um, still runs the company to this day. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And he has his own sales training and development group called Curlin and Associates. And he said, that's my R&D lab. Like everything I, I want to incorporate into the assessment, cool. I use it, you know, in my own internal company first. It's, it's part of the science experiment that the sales insights reports are that they're this continuing rolling group of growing group of people that have been assessed uh, over 2.3 million people. And so as more and more people take it, the database gets better and better and better. And the percentiles, when, when the report says a person is in the 76th percentile, that's not like some average that's out of all the people that have ever taken it. I mean, that's, that's powerful stuff. It's, it's immediately actionable mm -hmm. and applicable. It's awesome. So if we know we, we can teach process, obviously that's been, that's been done for, for quite some time, but obviously it's an, it's probably, it's more, it's more simple. It's the more simple side of, of the teaching and the training here. So when it comes to methodology, teaching behaviors, instincts, teaching the DNA of sales, how one, is it teachable? And two, how do you teach it? That's a great question, Molly. The, and again, I'm speaking from firsthand experience as well as having coached and trained over a thousand people at this point using the OMG assessment, the fundamental findings, there's three groups of findings. There's strengths related to sales, weaknesses, we call it sales DNA today, and then skills. So that's you know things like qualifying and value selling and building relationships. So that falls in the skills or competencies bucket and the strengths are things like desire for success in sales, commitment for success in sales. Do you take responsibility or do you blame others, make excuses? So those all fall into that bucket. And then the third bucket is the sales DNA. And there's six specific findings there that once somebody completes the assessment, we're evaluating how much does their desire to be liked by people get in the way of their success. And that is like, if you were to ask me, okay, what's your biggest deficiency, Mike, in sales? It's wanting to be liked. And wanting to be liked gets in the way and makes me uncomfortable to this day of asking a tough question of a potential client. Mm -hmm. So let's pretend that, you know, you go into a home. I just had a, a coaching call this morning about this, and it's clear that this property is, you're not a fit. 
because you're a craftsman quality painter. You offer, you know, multiple year warranties and guarantee, you know, your, your reviews on Google are, you know, excellent. And you see this home that's in shambles. And I would really struggle to ask the homeowner, so, you know, what's your budget and, and what are you really hoping to accomplish here? And they say, you know, $5,000 and you know that the house needs $25,000 of prep before you could begin to paint it, you know, to have that conversation with them and say, listen, you know, we want you to have a good end result here. And um, there's a lot of preparation that needs to be done before we can even begin to talk about painting. So we're not the right contractor. Is that okay if I depart without, you know, sending you a quote and you address, you know, the need that the whole house needs to be restuccoed? And all those cracks need to be filled. There's a lot of remediation that needs to happen. Is that okay? And, you know, I can do that now. I can say those things now, but I never would have been able to say that, you know, 15 years ago. And that's just one of the six things that gets in the way, you know, mm -hmm. of following any process whatsoever. So it's that. Why don't, why don't we get into that a little bit? Let's, let's leave some value here, you know, what, what do you replace need for approval with? So at the end of the day, to use a cliche, people really need to trust you. Okay. And the way you build trust is by, and there's lots been written about this, but it's, it's acting consistently. It's, you know, it's being professional and maybe it's, challenging or pointing out things that the homeowner hasn't really thought about. And I'll stay with the residential painting scenario. And so, you know, think of yourself as a physician, you're in there diagnosing what needs to happen for them to have an outstanding end product or result. And so by asking questions that they haven't thought about or pointing out things that need to be taken care of, with your trained eye, you're essentially replacing wanting to be liked by wanting to be respected as a true professional. And, you know, I think most painters kind of go in and they look around and they measure, take a couple measurements and they whip out a quote and 15 minutes later, they're gone. You, on the other hand, spent 45 minutes to an hour reviewing just the fundamental preparation that needs to be done and pointing out, you know, maybe some, I don't know, I'm not a designer. So, you know, whatever things they might want to think about in terms of design, but when you leave, the person goes, oh my gosh, I feel like I just met with a, a physician, a doctor of painting instead of, you know, chucking a truck and you earn their respect and their trust. And so when it comes time to decide, am I buying on price or um, am I buying on the value that I'm gonna get? I really trust that the doctor of painting that I just met with this morning, I think I'm, I think I'm gonna go with him. 
So, so now let me let me walk it forward a little bit because in in my world, just bringing it into really the the contract specifically the contracting world is well, and we're going to talk about more of this at the boot camp. But think about your next step agreement. Um, how for the sales reps listening here, how much more likely do you think that customer is going is going to respond to your next step agreement, having earned their respect? instead of not asking those questions. So all these things trickle down. If you've earned their respect, you've got a much bigger likelihood of honoring next step agreements. And I, to this day, I, I still have people that 100%, that's the goal is honoring next step agreements 100%. If you're earning their respect, then they're gonna honor the next step agreement. If they're not honoring the next step agreement, you're probably not earning their respect. You're probably suffering from need for approval yep you want to be being able to slice it up that specifically the sales insights really helps with yeah that's a that's a great analogy andrew um and i i mean i hear it all the time i'm getting ghosted you know (laughs) like you're getting ghosted because you didn't set an effective next step agreement and to your point maybe they didn't really respect or trust you well i had a good relationship well you know if, if uh, somebody you truly have a good relationship, would they ghost you? No. There's a, there's a handful of universal things and getting ghosted is universal to the trades world with need for approval. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, most, I don't know, it's hard to, to say, maybe some people will argue they've, they've mastered, they've mastered the sales role entirely, but I think most of us are on a trajectory of, of working towards mastery, that there's always room for improvement. And that's why, you know, we continue to talk about these things. So we know that teaching the methodology is possible, but how, how does someone have to show up for that? What are the, what's like the right scenario for somebody who has the potential, but, uh, and, but, but, and you recognized through, you know, the, through the assessment, these are the areas we need to focus on, but how do you actually make that work? What kind of, how do you just show up to that, to that conversation? Yeah. And I, again, because I took the assessment, it didn't show me as the second coming to all salespeople, (laughs) Uh, you know, I, I threw it in a drawer and I said, it wasn't accurate. And my exact words were, I didn't know if I was the old sales guy who didn't know any of this stuff, the newly trained sales guy, because I've been doing it for a year, or the sales trainer. So as a result, my answers were all inaccurate. And what happened five months after I took the assessment was I have another fundamental trait is that I get emotional. My kids tease me, Dad, you cry more than any person I know. I love that. It's usually when I'm talking about you guys and I'm crying, yeah. there's a joy. But, right, right, right. Yeah, but, you know, hey, no point in being Irish if you're not emotional, right? So there you go. With or without beer, the heart's on the sleeve. Okay, I admit it. Guilty as charged. <laughs> and, but that works two ways. I'm talking on one of the other findings. You know, if you go into a meeting and you think it's going really well and you develop what we call happy years, you forget to execute. You forget, you know, what is the budget? What is their decision process? You, you forget to set an, an NSA, a next step agreement, all because, well, we got along really well, right? So I was not open 
to what the report had to say until I literally soaked through a t-shirt under a dress shirt, you know, jacket and tie because the sales call was not going the way I thought it would go. And I was driving home and, I, you know, it was March and it was cold and clammy. And I'm like, man, you just got emotional in that sales meeting because it didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. That report said something about it. You better go back and read that. And I said there was basically a couple major epiphanies for me late in my sales career. I mean, 26, 27 years into my career where I'm like, okay, you didn't know that. It was the first sales training I went to. I went, well, you didn't know that. You know, and you call yourself a sales professional, how much more don't you know, right? So that was a major epiphany. Mm-hmm. And then the second was when I realized with the second reading that that OMG assessment was spot on. And it actually scored me better in some things than I know that I am. I like, you know, typically talking about money. That's, it's always been a challenge for me. And so at that point, I became open to the findings of the assessment. And when I meet with people, and I always, before I deliver the results, I always tell them that story about my personal experience with this. And I said, you may disagree with 80% of the findings in this report, but you're probably, if you're honest, you're going to agree with at least 20%. Just focus on that 20%. Because getting better in those areas being open to exchanging desire to be liked for a desire to be respected or recognizing that talking about money is just basic stuff. I mean, it's fundamental. Money means nothing. It's a means of exchange. Very private for a lot of people. That was me, impolite to talk about money. But how can you be in sales if you don't figure out what the budget is? And there's a lot of times when you have to say, listen, we're probably not the right fit for you because you saw our reviews. Do we get that review, those reviews by cutting corners and, you know, just putting lipstick on a pig, so to speak, you know, just making something look good, but fundamentally it's, it's not a good quality product. No, we don't get those reviews that way. I'll add a little color here, um, which is with identity role and people taking the assessment, certainly attending our boot camps. It, it's sometimes a pill to swallow to attend the boot camp. We, we operate in sales. We operate a lot on confidence, but that identity role piece showing up with good identity role, that performance in my role doesn't dictate how I feel about myself as a person. And we'll talk more about this again, a shameless plug for the boot camp. but a, a nugget here is back to identity role and separating yourself emotionally from the sale so, so that performance in your role doesn't affect how I feel about myself as a person. In other words, not making a sale doesn't make you a bad person. A lot of people struggle with that. So they go in, I'm going to sell everybody. I'm going to treat everybody the same. And you know what? They can call me. You know what? I've done my job. I gave them an estimate. I'm not going to bother people. If they want me, they can call me. And all of that is a cover for bad identity role. Separating out how I perform from how I feel about myself as a person. Some days are good. Some days are great. Some days are terrible. I'm still a good person. I'm still, I'm giving it the best effort I can. 
that's it. There's no if, there's no if and or but. It, I gave it my best. I'm a good person. So here's a question for you both. Obviously, through the, I mean, Andrew, you and I have talked, you know, before in previous conversations about, you know, the hiring of a sales rep and this assessment will make the recommendation to interview versus not or recommendation to hire versus not. Um, and then there's obviously the culture fit. How do you ensure that the individual who is recommended to hire, it, but there are there is room for improvement because there always is, how do we know, and maybe we don't, how do we know that person is, is going to be open and willing to recognizing that there's some areas we're going to work with you on? And are you on board with that versus I'm good at my job. I don't need additional training. I'm good. Clearly I'm recommended. Like there's a, like there's a confidence booster to it, of course, but also how, how do we make sure that these individuals are going to be, are going to want to develop, develop these specific attributes? So I'm a, I'm going to defer to Mike on this one, but Mike test me on this. So I'm, for me, that they took the profile is a sign of humility. And then part of your interviewing process, you're going to look for times that they've uh, worked on themselves and improved. How, how have they improved themselves? And then a process step in your interview ought to include a ride along day, spending some extended hours with the person to shadow and really get to know them. Um, that's, that'd be part of my answer. Mike, how'd I do? I awesome. Except <laughs> you missed the one finding in the OMG report about are they coachable? Ah, you're right. There is a coachability is coachable one metric. Oh, is it? It's yeah, it's one of the objective findings. That that's the thing. This assessment, if if people say, okay, I'm open to it, and you say you're being compared to two million other people, and this says that you're not really coachable. And in our environment, continuous coaching, teaching, training, learning, improving, role playing. That's what we do. That's how we roll. Mm -hmm. So if you're not coachable, you're probably not a fit for us. How do you answer that? And, and it's interesting. I don't think we mentioned we rank people on zero to 100 where they compare. And you did say this, Andrew, about to the other 2 million people where they fall in that broad spectrum. The people with the highest sales percentile, that's the number, that's the finding, that's what it's called. Oftentimes they're not coachable because they think they're all that. And they are really strong. But they're also, because they're so strong, they tend to be lone wolves. Yeah. To manage and they job hop. You can see definite patterns of job hoppiness on the super strong individuals. But coachability is critical. And that, you know, how do you, you asked earlier, Molly, how does somebody go through this evolution of their mindset, these methodologies? And it really requires continuous coaching, training, and reinforcement. And, you know, that's like I, I'm a big advocate of having sales managers working with companies. Um, because otherwise, you know, the salespeople are just out there on their own and, you know, they're dealing with the public, you know, all the time. And there's a lot of rejection. I mean, just tons of it. Yeah. So as a salesperson, you need that affirmation that, you know, 
hey, we love you. You're an important part of the team. Yeah, you lost that one, but look what you did last month. Get up on the horse and ride out there again and get going. And, you know, so the, the coaching, the techniques of overcoming desire to be liked, how do you do that? Well, you ask maybe tough questions that earn respect. Discomfort talking about money. You reframe. Maybe you think $10,000 is a lot of money. And you're trying to sell a $20,000 job. Well, you've got to reprogram your own brain to say 100000 is a lot of money, but ten grand is not that much. I mean, you know how people earn that in a couple of months of work or whatever. Mm-hmm. What's this house worth? You know, $10,000 is nothing on a half million dollar house, right? I can't so- help but uh, jump in a, a little bit. I, I can't help but take the opportunity with the sales manager comment there. The, the idea of a self-managed sales team is a myth. I, I call it a myth because like the Sasquatch, it appears every now and then, and then quickly disappears. And it, it sure, there's some people that say they have one, but they, they don't last real long and they usually don't survive um, uh, uh, challenges. Um, and it's really dependent on the people that are in it. So as soon as one of them leaves, it changes. So part of the, of the report is, is that idea of sales management. Sorry, shameless plug. I couldn't help but take that that uh, opportunity. No, I, I think that's actually, that's a good point, Andrew. And I would actually like to explore that just conversation on another, you know, another podcast, I think understanding that role and the critical, the critical place it, it holds within a sales department is probably worth, you know, moving forward or, uh, you know, exploring a little bit further. So coming soon to nice. a podcast done, program done, near you. Done. <laughs> You know, just as I think about this industry, or most of our clients are contractors of one form or another, and the sales reps get a lot of opportunities every day and every week to practice these things. So it's, I mean, there's a lot of complex sales out there and things that, you know, take months or years to close because they have, you know, two, three, four appointments a day. If, if they're truly open to learning, they have a lot of chances to practice and, and be reinforced by their manager or whoever their coach is. And, you know, just keep coming at it, coming at it. When I'm doing the sales jumpstart with our clients that, you know, that remote program, not the boot camp, I say, okay, here's the, the debrief checklist. At the end of every day, I want you to score yourself as you go through this. And how did you do? Well, I didn't do such a good job on asking about budget. Okay, why didn't you? Well, I was uncomfortable. Well, is that you're uncomfortable because you didn't want to offend them or you don't want to talk about money? Which is it? And then you, you know, you develop there and it's the next time, you know, so that they get to practice repeatedly, which I think is a great way to learn to overcome some of these mindset or methodology issues. Absolutely. That's a really, that's a really good point. So I'll wrap us up here, you know, for the, for the sake of time. And we all, obviously we want to leave some interest um, or we would have piqued some interest for what's to come um, in the upcoming workshop in August, but this, I mean, Andrew and Mike will both be facilitating um, this, this workshop in itself. And we're going to dive into 
more of the sales insights and how to use the report. Actually, the report will be um, taken by all of the attendees, which is really cool. So them being able to actually look at their results in alignment with the workshop topic is is pretty neat. Um, so I know you know topics being covered of desire versus commitment, getting to emotional. Um, motivation and excuse making. I mean, a lot of different um, core areas that you guys are just going to keep pulling the onion apart and dive in just a little bit deeper each time, which is really, really neat. Yeah. I hope yeah. we've given people some nuggets in the call today, but if if you want more shameless plug, we're talking about it more at the boot camp. Mm -hmm. Join us there. Love to, love to have you join us. I, I think that this is a real differentiator for people's careers. What did I what I tell you, Andrew, when we first started working a year, working together a year ago, I said this this assessment is the difference between you know where they are today and another 20, maybe even 30% revenue. You know, easy once, once this tool is being implemented. And sounds like bad, a win-win. You know, bad hires, hopefully a thing of the past. I mean, culture fit, we don't address that. So that can always happen. But not being able to sell should not happen when this tool is being used in the recruiting process, which you mentioned earlier. So love to have folks join us. What's that August, right? Yep. Coming up. All right. Well, thank you both. I appreciate your time. I know that I learned something from this call, um, especially just the, the, the differential process, different difference between the process and the methodology and the different components with, within each and why you need both to succeed. Um, so thank you for breaking that down. And uh, of course, if anybody likes, likes to learn more, please reach out. We're always happy to discuss. And until next time, thank you all. Thanks, Molly. Thanks, Thanks Andrew. Paul. You bet. See you, Mike. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.